Man, you know, a lot of people came in since I sat down up here and turned my, you know, back to the crowd. I see some folks that I've missed along the way here, several of you. So, man, it's good to see you back with us. Um, somebody say, He is greater than. All right, now say it like you mean it. That's awesome. If you guys are joining us from home and you're uh, worshiping on the live stream, do me a favor this morning. Just type right there in the comment section, He is greater than, and let us know uh, you're worshiping with us. We're going to continue this morning in our Colossians series. Are you guys enjoying this? Are you learning something? I hope so. You know, it's always the one who's studying it the most that learns the most. But I hope you're getting something out of it. And I hope your small groups uh, are going well. Are you guys having a good experience in your, in your Zoom groups? Yep, good job. Good job. It's good to have you guys connecting in that way. Um, but we're going to continue the series this morning with a, a message entitled, Greater Than Any Rule. Greater Than Any Rule. So turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Colossians chapter 2. We're still in uh, chapter 2 uh, this morning. We're going to be uh, focused on chapter 2, verse 20. So just put your finger there. We'll get there in just a minute. Um, remember, as we review, the overarching theme of Paul's letter to the Colossians is the supremacy, Jesus is above all, and the sufficiency of Jesus. And the question that Paul is raising and pushing into these false teachers in the church is this, is Jesus above all? Is He truly above all? And is His death, burial, and resurrection sufficient to fully restore us into a relationship with God? False teachers, as we've said, were permeating the ranks of the Colossian church. They were preaching they were teaching false gospels that were appealing on the surface, but ultimately more of a burden than a blessing to the believer. So Paul's primary focus here in chapter 2 is the false teaching of legalism. Legalism. How many of you are familiar with what that really means in the context of the church and the spiritual environment. Most of you, okay. Uh, well, legalism just on its face literally means the process or act of following the what? The law, which on its, on its surface is not a bad thing. But legalism in a spiritual environment, legalism in a church environment teaches that salvation, hear me, salvation is gained and sustained through the following of an established set of rules. Are you with me? So, in, in, in a spiritual setting, legalism means that salvation, our relationship with God, is restored based on the following of an established set of rules. In other words, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't chew, and you don't what? Run with girls that do. That's right. I, can, I mean, am I just from a different planet? How many of y'all have never heard that? Golly, Pete. Yeah, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't run with girls that do. That's what makes you a good Christian. Instead of a heart-held faith, 
Legalism is all behavior-based. It's about what you do. It's about the externals. Anybody grow up in or have experience uh, in an environment like that or in a church like that, maybe? Yeah, definite um, streams of Christianity um, can manifest in that way. And a lot of folks grow up in those environments, and it's, it's kind of to, it's hard to shake, to be honest with you. If you've been used to um, that environment, and you've been used to a rules-based, behavior-based, spiritual setting, man, it gets in you, and it's hard to shake, and it can impact your faith for the rest of your lives. But uh, Jesus came to free us from all that, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, legalism creates a spiritual hierarchy, okay, that elevates those who can best follow the rules and condemns those who don't follow the rules as well. You hear me? So a legalistic environment, whether it's a church or a family unit or whatever, it, it elevates and, and it praises higher those who can follow the rules and, and do the behavior better than other folks. Where legalism lives, judgment thrives. Legalism is lethal to the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. But it's insidious and it's subtle and we don't always notice it even when we're in the midst of it. What it does is it takes the responsibility of our salvation off the cross, the only reason that Jesus came, and places it squarely on our own shoulders. It's performance-based. Whoever works the hardest and climbs the highest gets to the top and makes it to God. It's a competition. The problem is sin is not a mountain that we can climb. It is an unscalable barrier between us and God. No matter how hard or how high we try to climb, we can never get over it. Trying to be good enough for God is an exercise in futility. How many of you figured that out? It will wear you out. And I think most of us who have been following Christ for uh, a season of time have gone down that path and we either figure that out uh, and, and we move back and pull away from it and step into the freedom that only Christ can provide or we stay in the grind. And again, it will just suck the life right out of you. So God in His grace reached down and lifted us up to Himself. That's what the cross is all about. Not us climbing the mountain to get to God, that unscalable mountain of our sin, but it's about God in His grace and His love reaching down and sending Christ down to us out of His love. That's what the cross is about. That's why Jesus came to scale the unscalable on our behalf and to lift us over it. Legalism leaves you on the side of the mountain. It leaves you climbing day after day after day until you are empty and exhausted. Some of you may be there this morning. 
Some of you may have grown up in environments like that and it's just been so hard to shake. It's just drilled into you that, that it's all about your performance and you doing what you can to stay on God's good side, to stay in God's good graces. And this morning you're just tired. You're like, I can't do this. This whole Jesus thing, this whole faith thing, I can't do this. And the reality is when we try to live it out that way, we can't do it. And Jesus just calls us to throw up our hands and surrender to Him and allow Him to do it in us and through us. The folks who climb the highest get to look down on all the others. <laughs> but the climb never ends. And the abundant life is never found. Paul's message to the Colossians and his message to you and I this morning is this. Quit climbing. Quit climbing. Cling to the cross. Legalism operates according to the system of this world. This world operates in a performance-based system. From when you're in preschool and kindergarten to the one who gets the star to when you get the big bonus at the end of the year because you performed well as an adult. That's the way the system in this world operates. And that's so why, why it is so easy for us to get caught up in legalism in our spiritual lives and in the church. Paul says this. He says, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, you died to the way this world operates. You died to the system of performance-based impressions. He said, why since you died to that? As though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Legalism is all about what you can't do and what you have to do to stay on God's good side. Legalism lives in the grind, not in God's grace. It chooses the climb over the cross. It's lifeless. And ultimately, it is lethal. Let me ask you something this morning. When it comes to your faith, are you still climbing? Truly, take this moment to evaluate where you are. Empty, exhausted? Are you still climbing? Are you still trying to get there on your own? Or are you clinging to the cross and what Christ has already done on your behalf at Calvary, setting you free from the need to perform, setting you free from the need to impress God, meeting God's standard, God's law, God's rules, on your behalf and paying your penalty for not being able to and simply offering you forgiveness and freedom and adoption as a child of God. And are you still living in the grind <laughs> or are you resting in His grace? Paul's not saying 
that we can just have at it, that we can sin all the more <laughs> and let grace abound. That's, that's taking it in a whole other direction. There were false teachers in these churches that were teaching that gospel. That's not what he's saying at all. He's, he's saying that we no longer have to live by an external code of conduct. We now live by the character of Christ that is within us. Christ in you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. That's what Paul's saying there. Some people are great rule followers. It just comes natural to them. I never was. Never have been. How many of you would consider yourself in that category, a rule follower? Yeah, it's probably... 60-40, I would say, as far as the, the, and I'm noticing some of you guys not raising your hands out there, and I could have told you that. Um, haven't been around you for years and years. Um, but some people are just great, great rule followers. Rule followers love structure, okay? Uh, they love documentation. They're detailed. They complete tasks exactly as assigned. They're resistant to change and they dislike ambiguity. Some of you are laughing out there. Go, man, that is so me. Or that is so my husband. Or that, mm, yeah. Rule followers do everything by the book. That's why they make such good Christians. Or do they? The greatest rule followers to ever live were the Pharisees in the Scripture. The religious elite of Jesus' day. They prided themselves on following the law that God had given, the Mosaic law, so well that it made them right before God. They really, it's called works righteousness. They felt like they could follow the rules that God had put down so well that it made them righteous. Their own behavior made them right before God. And no wonder they killed Jesus. They saw no need for Him. Are you following me? Thus the lifelessness and the lethality of legalism in our own lives. Be careful how wrapped up you get in religious rules. Jesus reserved his harshest words for those who followed the rules the best. Don't get me wrong, you can be a complete rebel and go right to hell. I mean, Paul reminds us here in Colossians that in Christ we are released from men's traditions and we've always done it this way you got to do it this way we're released from men's regulations here are the rules you need to follow if you're going to be part of this club and we're released from men's expectations <laughs> Paul said there is now no condemnation no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus Paul's pushing here for a motive check 
And that's where I want to go this morning as we look at this topic. Motive is everything when it comes to exposing legalism. Everything. The why behind what we're doing. Motive determines whether you're living in the grind or you're living in His grace. As a follower of Christ, why do you do what you do? We don't pause enough to think about that, I don't think. Why are you here at worship? Why have you gathered here at church this morning? Why are you on your couch on the live stream worshiping this morning? Why do you give financially to the kingdom? Why do you study the scripture? Why do you pray? Why do you serve? Why do you minister to other people? What's your motive? What's the why behind what you're doing in your spiritual life? Is it tradition? And I've always done it this way. My parents did it this way. My grandparents did it this way. And so I do it this way. What, what do you mean? This is just the way we do it. Is it regulation? Man, I do these things because they're in the rule book. And if I don't do them, God's not going to be happy with me. We kind of know that's not true to a great degree, but we tend to often live that way anyway. Or are you driven by the expectations of others? Is that your why? I'm here because my parents expect me to come to church. I'm here because my wife makes me come. Ron. I felt like I could throw that one at you. Or I'm here because if I'm not here, man, the people in the church will judge me if I'm not here. Any of you grow up in small towns? Why do you do what you do as a follower of Christ? Man, teasing out our motives can be tough. But if we're not, but we're not to be driven by tradition, regulation, or expectation. And if we're not to be driven by those things, then what is our why? What are we to be driven by? Paul says as followers of Jesus, we should be driven by one thing and one thing only, and that is devotion. Devotion. We should be driven by our love for Christ and our thankfulness for what He has done and accomplished on our behalf and the gift that He has given us, the free gift of reconciliation with God. And there's a world of difference between worshiping to honor and thank God and showing up just to check a box. There's a world of difference between following a set of guilt-producing rules and living freely in Christ. I'll tell you, it's a journey to get there. It has been for me. And I still have to fight it from time to time. Paul told the Corinthians this. He said, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. It's Christ's love that compels us. It's Christ's love and His sacrifice on our behalf that is our why. Those who are motivated out of devotion to Jesus live in and out of His 
grace. Those who are motivated by tradition, regulation, and expectation live in the grind. Let me ask you something this morning. Where are you living? Where are you living? Really? Are you living in His grace? In His full forgiveness? That there's nothing you can do to accomplish that? That He has done it for you and He has gifted it to you? Are you living in His grace? Are you living in the grind? Are you still trying to prove something to God or to somebody else? Legalism dangles a carrot you can never reach. It never leads to freedom, only to frustration. Some of you grew up in homes and in churches like that can attest to the fact that loveless law never works. Loveless law never works. Shortly after I came to Christ, almost 30 years ago, uh, Kim and I started attending uh, a little Baptist church um, in, in her hometown. Um, I was all in. I mean, I came to Christ. My life was changed on a dime. I'm like, just point me in the right direction toward Jesus. Just tell me what to do. So I was very trusting of folks that were in positions of authority and that kind of thing. I said, man, I just, man, who, who do I tell this story to? And so Kim and I started attending this little um, Baptist church uh, there in her hometown. Um, one of the leaders of the church, um, a guy by the name of Walt, he invited me to come to Sunday morning prayer time. He saw that I was on fire for the Lord. And he said, you know, um, certain, men, certain men in the church gather every Sunday morning at 6 a.m. in the pastor's office. And we pray over the pastor and we pray for the service. I'd like to invite you to be part of that. And so I said, man, that's great. Kim and I didn't have kids at the time. I had time, you know. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll see you at 6 a.m. Sunday. Because, um, man, that, that's where the real Christians were. And uh, so I did it. I was happy to. And then uh, this fellow insisted after that. I'd done that for a while. And he says, you know... Um, uh, on Tuesday night, we do visitation. We go knocking on doors in a neighborhood, um, and we share Jesus, you know. Um, like for you to join us um, doing that. And I said, yeah, man, that's great. I could use the practice, you know. I'm just telling people about Jesus. Let's do it. Let's, let's. So started going on Tuesday night. Now, mind you, we were already at church on Sunday morning. We were at church on Sunday night. And then we were at prayer meeting on Wednesday night. So, you know, um, then I'm at, I got Sunday morning, I got Tuesday night. Um, shortly thereafter, uh, Kim w had been pregnant with Caleb. Um, tells you how long ago this is. And uh, Caleb came, and our world changed. I mean, just like that, you know. And so I, 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 went, to, uh, I went to this fella, and I said, you know... Um, with Caleb here now, I'm going to have to help Kim in the morning, on Sunday morning. You know, we're going to have to come into church together. And uh, um, and on Tuesday night, since I work all day long, you know, I need to give Kim a break and kind of take care of the take care of things there. Well, needless to say, this fellow was not pleased that I was pulling out of those environments. And after that, he would only say two words to me when he saw me. And so I would see him on Sunday morning at church, and the two words he would say to me every time I'd bump into him were these, 
missed you. Missed you. Missed you. Do you feel that? I mean, has anybody ever felt that? That is the heart of legalism. It is not about the life and the freedom you find in Christ. It is about following the rules and making sure your behavior really is what other people expect it to be. I've seen a thousand of those guys in churches since then. Not too many around here. I have very little patience for that because it's lethal to the true life that Christ is offering to us. Loveless law never works. Freedom is found in devotion, not in duty and obligation to Christ. C.S. Lewis, I uh, bumped into a, a quote actually this morning. I was doing some reading, and I thought, man, how beautiful. You say, well, Phil, I mean, what, what's then going to keep us in between the ditches if we're not, like, following all these rules? You know, how do we make sure that we are a good Christian and doing what Christ wants us to do if we're not following all these rules? C.S. Lewis said this. He said, obedience is the key that opens every door. We're still to be obedient to Christ. Obedience is the key that opens every door. But how do we obey without falling into legalism? Through love. Jesus said, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Just as Jesus' love for the Father was expressed in His obedience to the Father, our love for Jesus is expressed in our obedience to Him. So we're not off the reservation. We just have righteousness written in our hearts now, not in an external code that's driving us. Why do we do the right thing? Because that's what Jesus would have us to do. Why do we do the right thing? Because that is the character of Christ that now resides within us. Be driven by devotion. Rules-based religion, ought to versus want to, creates a guilt-ridden grind because that was the purpose of the law. He said, well, Phil, what's the law all about? What's all this Old Testament law about? The purpose of the law, the reason God put the law into place, the rules in the first place was to expose the guilt of the people, to reveal to them that they could not be good enough for God, that they could not accomplish all of this themselves so that they would ultimately surrender and when the Messiah came, they would receive Him because He's the only one that would live a perfect life, the only one that could fulfill the law, the only one that could die the perfect death that would be the sacrificial death for the sins of everybody else. And yet they refused. They stayed in their works righteousness. But once you come to the cross, the purpose for the law is over. 
Jesus fulfilled it on your behalf. That's what Paul meant when he wrote this in verse 13. He said, He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code, the law, with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. The law was never for us. <laughs> the law stood opposed to us, to reveal to us our own sin and our own inability to reach the righteousness of God. Paul says Jesus took it away and he nailed it to the cross along with himself. The false teachers in Colossae were peddling a written code that was canceled at the cross. And so is every legalist. Paul goes on to say, Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. That's why it's kind of a piece. It's like, wait a minute, should I be, wait, get you off back. Should I be doing that? Am, am, I, am I okay if I don't do that? Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, have to versus want to, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, just the and I'm sacrificing for Jesus. But they lack value in restraining sensual indulgence. In other words, legalism looks good, but it lacks power. You can follow all the rules in the world, but it is only the spirit of the risen Christ in you that can hold the old man down. Rules alone lack the power to restrain us. Rules without relationship always lead to rebellion. Whether it's in the family structure, in your Christian life, or in the church. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. The problem with legalism is that you cannot legislate love. <laughs> Love is a matter of the heart. In our Christian life, if our Christian life is driven by regulation and not devotion, it will ultimately lead to rebellion. We'll just throw the towel in. I can't do this anymore. It's a grind. And we see it all the time. But our goal as followers of Jesus is not to follow a set of rules. It's to know Him. And it's to allow Him to live His life in us and through us. The Scripture says that the law is now written on our hearts. And then finally, as we evaluate our motives, I want to challenge you this week to evaluate the why behind what you do in your Christian life. There they are. Don't you love that, though? Those kids. Evaluate the why. As the band comes back to the stage, it's essential for us to remember that putting aside sinful ways, okay, dying to self, putting aside sinful ways is the result of our salvation, not the reason for it. And what happens in legalism is those two get switched and we think that somehow subtly or overtly that somehow 
the, our behavior and our sacrifice and all that is the reason for our salvation. When it is not, it is the result of it. Anything we're able to do for Jesus, any dying that we do to self is the result of our salvation. It doesn't accomplish it for us. And when we get that tangled up, the Christian life becomes more of a burden than a blessing. We operate less out of grace and more in the grind. We operate consciously or unconsciously as if what we do or don't do determines God's love for us. When the reality is, and hear this, God loves you just as much on your worst day as He does on your best day. Never forget that. God's love never changes for you. While we were yet sinners, what? Christ died. He loves you just as much on your worst day as your best day. His love for us was determined at the cross. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the reason for our salvation and wholehearted devotion should be the result. Examine your motives this week. What's your why behind what you do? What's your why behind being here this morning? What's your why behind your prayer time? What's your why behind opening your Bible? What's your why behind giving to the kingdom? What's your why? Quit climbing and start clinging to the cross. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you that uh, your way is not the world's way. Lord, that we don't have to work our way to the top. Lord, you said the first would be last and the last would be first. Lord, help us turn our mentality upside down to understand what you accomplished on our behalf at the cross. Lord, help us to, to stop trying to impress you or, or live under the expectations of others. But Lord, to step into your freedom, your full forgiveness, and to embrace the reality that there's absolutely nothing we have to do to be reconciled to you, Father. Jesus has done it. He's done it on our behalf. Lord, I pray for those here today who grew up in environments that were rigid and behavior-based and performance-oriented. And Lord, they just struggle with their faith because of it. They struggle to let go of that. They struggle to just receive and rest in the gift that you've given them. Lord, I pray through the power of your Spirit that resides within them this morning, you would break them free of that bondage. And let them, maybe even for the first time ever, rest in you and in your love. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.